Hello and welcome to this week's installment of JumboCast Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Mahoney, happy to be making my inaugural appearance on the show. We've got a variety of sports on the docket for today, including football with Lily Brinsinghofer, baseball with Jared Davis, basketball with Jenny Liu, and soccer with Owen Fitzsimons. Up first, we've got all things NFL from one of our newest JumboCast members, Lily. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, happy to be here. Awesome. Jumping right in, the NFL season is, at least for now, in full swing. Recently, there's been a lot of discussion surrounding some coaching changes around the league, most notably with Bill O'Brien leaving the Texans. Are there other coaches whose jobs may be in jeopardy? Well, of course, on Tuesday it was announced that the Texans were firing their head coach, Bill O'Brien. Reportedly, O'Brien was given the boot after a confrontation with J.J. Watt that led the rest of the team to turn on the coach. The Texans, who went to the divisional round of the playoffs last year, have started 0-4, forcing many to call for a change. Other coaches who I think are on the hot seat are the Lions' Matt Patricia and the Falcons' Dan Quinn. Both have commented that they are not focusing on job security, but frankly, pitiful performances by both teams are forcing management to consider the change. Especially in the case of Quinn, who since the infamous 28-3 Super Bowl loss has led the Falcons to multiple blown fourth-quarter double-digit leads. Matt Patricia has also been criticized for his overly aggressive coaching style that has yielded little results. My guess is if they don't reach 4-4 four and four by midseason, both Patricia and Quinn will be fired. All right. Moving on to the players, one quarterback headline heading into this weekend is the benching of Washington QB Dwayne Haskins. How does this affect the Washington football team, or as I like to call them, the WAFT, and their prospects in the seemingly very weak NFC East? Well, as you said, Dwayne Haskins has been benched in favor of Kyle Allen following the, the football team's loss to the Ravens. Many have criticized this move, citing the need to develop the young quarterback, and also citing the Giants' Daniel Jones' equally poor quality, but his continued role as a starter. I, however, agree with the move to bench Haskins because of the standings in the NFC East at the moment. All four teams have exhibited poor gameplay, and it is likely that a 7-9 and record could carry a team to the playoffs. With the Washington football team facing division rivals for the next two weeks, these games make the difference in the standing going into the postseason. With the Eagles leading the division at 1-2-1 and one, and the football team at 1-3, and three, they are real competitors and could use a shakeup giving them some momentum going forward. All right. Next, we certainly can't talk about the NFL without talking about the cloud of COVID-19 hanging on everyone's mind, with multiple reschedulings thus far. What do you have to say about the league's handling of the pandemic? Well, the NFL policy regarding COVID has largely been criticized in the last week after the Titans and Bills game was postponed last week and is likely to be canceled again this week. There's a push within the league by some to force the Titans to forfeit the game due to their perceived lack of adherence to these COVID policies. The Patriots also lost their two best players, former MVP Cam Newton and Defensive Player of the Year Stephon Gilmore. This has led many people to the conclusion that the general NFL policy on COVID is ineffective at preventing outbreaks of the virus. The NFL, is, though, is, is seriously considering new punishments for failing to adhere to the COVID-19 policies. This will most likely result in multiple game suspensions for many players and coaches. Yeah, it's certainly an interesting situation. As a Patriots fan myself, definitely disappointed to see uh, some of the Patriots players coming down with the virus and some of them seemingly not following all the, all the procedures. I know, same here. And it really crippled them in their game last week against the Chiefs, I think. Yeah. On a brighter note, we're now about a quarter of the way through the season. What teams have impressed you so far in both the AFC and the NFC? 
Well, I think in the AFC, for me, it's really a four-man race between the Patriots, Bills, Chiefs, and Ravens. For many people, the Chiefs are the clear frontrunner, but I think they looked weak against both the Patriots and the Chargers. Patrick Mahomes continues to look impressive, especially with playmakers like Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, and Sammy Watkins by his side. We can see from the Patriots game that they are still prone to mistakes, like Sammy Watkins' red zone fumble. They're still a great team, and one which is really hard to beat unless you can match their offensive power. The Ravens came into the season as many people's Super Bowl pick, and with Lamar Jackson, it is hard to count them out. However, they put on a rather poor showing against the Chiefs. To be frank, Mahomes just outplayed Jackson. The Ravens still have a high level of talent, especially on the defensive line and in the backfield, and their playoff hopes will rely entirely on their coaching and their ability to limit mistakes. The Bills are bolstered by MVP-like play from Josh Allen and explosive and creative coaching from Sean McDermott. They put on an impressive show against the Raiders, coming back from four consecutive scoring drives. For me, their weak point is the red zone production. Allen put up, puts up large stats, but struggles to close the deal in the red zone. Lastly, the Patriots. If this season doesn't prove that you can never discount the Belichick-era Patriots, I don't know what does. This week, on top of most of their defense missing for the season, their starting quarterback, Cam Newton, was out with COVID. They put up a fight against the Chiefs, and if it wasn't for poor quarterback play, the Patriots could easily be atop the AFC. It'll be interesting to see how they cope with the loss of Stephon Gilmore due to COVID in the coming weeks. In the NFC, I think it's a race between the Bucks, Packers, and Seahawks. Until last night, I thought the Bucks had offensive talent making them a threat no matter who they play. After some stumbles early against the Chargers, they beat them handedly and put on a strong showing against the Broncos. The biggest problem going forward is going to be staying healthy. Goodwin, Evans, and Gronk are all injury-prone and essential for the success of the team. But their pitiful second-half performance last night against the Bears really demonstrated their weaknesses. Now, I do think the Bears are contenders, especially if they can get their quarterback situation under control. It'll be interesting to see how these two teams progress in a wide-open NFC. The Packers, as in most years, are contenders. Aaron Rodgers has returned to MVP-like form and is clearly capable of being essentially a one-man team. The beefed-up secondary has looked strong against the Falcons, the Saints, and Aaron Jones has been impressive. At 4-0, they've gained momentum that could take them straight to the Super Bowl. And the Seahawks are another impressive team at the quarter mark of the season. Russell Wilson's a long, underrated player, and he's in almost perfect form. Pete Carroll's defense, as usual, is hard-hitting and holds even some of the more explosive offenses to minimal points. Their play against the Patriots was especially impressive, and to me, clearly makes them a contender against any team, another 4-0 team that could go all the way. Finally, it's still quite early, but we have to ask, who have you got for early MVP and Super Bowl favorites? Well, for me, the frontrunners for MVP are Wilson, Allen, and Rodgers. Wilson has been the most impressive player by a long shot. Wilson has thrown 16 touchdowns and has a QBR of almost 83. His performance against the Patriots in primetime was especially impressive, throwing two beautiful passes over the shoulder to DK Metcalf. Aaron Rodgers surpasses Wilson with a QBR of 92. However, the spotlight seems to be on Wilson at the moment due to Rodgers' previous MVP season and Wilson's underrated status. I think Josh Allen could really be a contender if he's able to lead the Bills to the playoffs and gain the notoriety that that brings. In terms of Super Bowl contenders, for me right now, I think it's a Packers-Chiefs Super Bowl, although we'll have to see what happens as the COVID-19 pandemic progresses, and we'll see which teams start to lose players due to the outbreak. Certainly. Well, there's a very interesting season ahead of us, and we will certainly all be watching on the edge of our seats. Hopefully, of course, the season will make it that far. Well, thank you so much for your insight, and uh, glad to have you with us today. Thank you very much for having me. Now, while the NFL is still figuring their season out, 
we move to other sports that are in the closing stages of theirs. With that, we welcome Jared Davis, our resident MLB enthusiast. Jared, happy to have you with us. Thanks so much for having me, Daniel. Yeah, happy to have you. The MLB postseason is underway as the division series is almost wrapped up. Who has caught your eye in the playoffs so far? My goodness, we've seen a lot of fun action. Start off with Atlanta. They uh, went through their opponents like a knife through hot butter. Atlanta with a .92 ERA. That's pretty amazing. Under one, they're very, very hard to hit. Kyle Wright, Max Fried, Ian Anderson pitching great. It's going to be a tough team. And they got some great batters with Freddie Freeman, uh, Ozuna, uh, Acuna. You know, they got great players. The A's and Astros series, they set a division series home run record with 24 home runs, amassing a total of almost 10,000 feet in home runs. You know, the, um, the Astros found a way to win 3-1, so they're looking to take on the winner of the Rays-Yankee series. Speaking of the Rays and Yankees, Tampa Bay's very own Rosarena only has 80 at-bats or so in his career, but now he's top three in average and OPS. He's really making that difference for the Rays squad that does have some good pitching. The Yankees, it's kind of a wild ride on the other side. You know, they should be the favorite. You'd think they have a better, deeper lineup, but their team is going through flux of getting hot and getting cold. They have great pitching. You know they have great talent. They just got to find a way to pull through. And then in that Dodgers-Padres series, Padres are a really fun team to watch. You see Tatis, he's National homers, the pitching there was a little bit rough. Um, kind of sucks that they couldn't have Clevenger. He tried to go, couldn't um, couldn't make it through that injury. Had to get pulled out in the second inning. But the Dodgers, my goodness, are they fun to watch. Bellinger's rob of that home run to save kind of that, that game in game two was a big, big difference. Oh, my goodness. Bellinger looks like the MVP he was last year, even though he didn't have a great season. But, yeah, definitely – Definitely a lot of things have caught my eye. Yeah, that game too was an incredible game to watch. That's what I love about playoff baseball. Notably, in that series, there were some extracurricular antics between the Dodgers and the Padres a couple nights ago. What can you tell us about that? Definitely, definitely. You know, as a baseball guy myself, you do have to pay attention to the rules that are set in stone, you know, written on the wall. <laughs> Don't throw at a batter. You don't chirp too much. You take your walk. You don't hit home runs on 3-0 counts with the bases loaded, things like that. So the, the Padres are definitely um, a new kind of new era. Um, they like to chirp a little bit. They throw the bat flips. They get excited, which is great. You love to see it. It's really exciting to watch. But they are going to cause some backlash with teams that do play a little bit more along the lines of the traditional way of baseball. And you have you have the Dodgers manager, Dave Roberts, who's just, you know, a consummate baseball fiend. And he's going to teach his men to play a certain way. And yes, the Dodgers do get a little animated too. And honestly, in this situation, it was the Dodgers kind of instigating. Yes, you see Machado get a little bit excited beforehand when he hits the home run and screams at the dugout. But in this time and age, that's totally fine. Brewster Gratterall, what he did, though, was kind of unacceptable as a dog, uh, as a baseball fan, just knowing the history of baseball. And in the seventh inning, keep your hat on. I mean, you can, you can throw your hands up. You can kind of yell. You can uh, point to the dugout. I guess you could blow him a kiss if you really want. You know, Joe Kelly, Gratterall, I guess they're really enthusiastic guys. They like to get in the heads of the batters a little bit. Um, I, ne I never really liked my pitcher doing that, but... It was fine. I would say he. I wish he could kept his glove and his hat on. 
Um, I understand why Machado took exception, but after you do the bat flip and everything, I don't necessarily see how you can really have any beef. Uh, we're glad that it wasn't like a bench clearing brawl or anything, but um, yeah, a little interesting. Things got a little bit cagey. You saw some of the Dodgers walk out and, and start to tell them to, to get back in the dugout, but thankfully things were kept safe, especially during the pandemic right now. So yeah, it was a little wild. You do see some other antics too in other games players yelling at each other a little bit also with being able to hear the microphones um i know yesterday i could hear all the the calls of the umpire yelling that's inside that's outside so you know tempers are running hot it's the postseason but um players are also very respectful of the fact that they need to keep social distancing as best as they can to keep the image of uh trying to really reduce the effect of pandemic Definitely, yeah. And with all of the division series actually being intradivisional, teams playing teams that they've already played many times earlier this season, that only increases the tension. Turning back to the game now, the rubber batch of the Yankees and the Rays series will be on tonight, the only division series to reach game number five. The projected matchup is Garrett Cole for the Yankees against Tyler Glasnow for the Rays, both having won games earlier in the series. Who have you got coming out on top? Yeah, I, um, I'm going to go against all you New Yorkers, and I'm going with Tyler Glass now and those Rays. It's really that young, hot lineup that's caught fire this year. You know, they weren't the number one seed for nothing. They really found their stride, and they've been, they've been still pushing through in the playoffs against some tough teams. You know, the Yankees here have a very deep roster. Um, I think the big thing is going to be getting to Cole early. If you can get to Cole early and get maybe a run or two, in the first couple of innings, uh, maybe get him out of the game before the sixth or seventh inning, uh, possibly find the matchup that you like and honestly just get the ball to your bullpen as Tampa Bay. And hopefully they can, uh, their pitching has been pretty solid. Um, you know, they've gone through rough patches. This is one of the most dramatic series we've seen ups and downs on both sides, but I feel like Tampa Bay, if they can get to Cole early, they should be able to, pull this one out but i would never bet against the yankees yeah that should be an exciting game and with that final game the championship series will be set as you mentioned the dodgers and the braves in the nl and the astros against either the yankees or the rays in the al what are your predictions and what will be some keys to each series definitely definitely there are a lot of fun exciting matchups we can look forward to um you know the astros really really deep lineup you got the yankees really deep lineup the rays very young, so they can be exciting. They've caught fire, as I said. Um, the Braves, super exciting lineup. These are all the teams you're kind of going to be looking forward to the beginning of the season, even pre-pandemic. You're saying, I want to see the Yankees in the playoffs. I want to see the Dodgers. I want to see the Braves. I'll see the Astros, too, even though they cheat. So if it, the Rays do make it, as I predicted, I do see the Rays finding a way to ride that momentum and upset the Astros. I think they'll just have their number as the one seed and know that, hey, this was our year. We've done everything right. They might have the bigger names. They might have the better lineup, but we're just going to persevere and go through. Ultimately, that's going to come down to their hitters hitting and their pitchers shutting down the tough murderers row lineup of the Astros with Bregman, Correa, Altuve. You know, they have a very, very solid lineup. Springer, of course, too. So, yeah, that's going to be a really interesting series. I'm saying that one's going seven for sure. 
it's just uh, it's just too tar- hard to tell. And even if the Yankees do make it, I think the Yankees would lose to the Astros. But I do think that would also be a very, very close series, possibly going seven. On the other side, I have the Dodgers pulling through in six. The Braves are going to give the Dodgers a lot tougher matchup than anybody they've seen recently. They have very, very solid pitching, as I've already mentioned, with that ERA under one. Um, they're missing Mike Soroka. Unfortunately, they would be a very, very deep pitching lineup with that. Their batting, though, has been struggling. They strike out quite a bit, which makes for a good matchup for the Dodgers with the power pitching they have. Walker Bueller, top five in strikeouts. Clayton Kershaw is second in strikeouts in the postseason. So if those pitchers can keep um, stay away from the barrels of the big Atlanta hitters, I can see the Dodgers advancing pretty comfortably. It's not going to be an easy series, but I think they do have the deeper lineup and the better pitching, even though the, the Braves have had a really good run of pitchers and pitching recently. They just haven't faced the same opponents that the Dodgers have faced. So uh, I do think the Dodgers pitching will end up seeing them out. The batters, though, I think it's a split pretty much down the middle. Yes, the Dodgers might have a little deeper lineup. You know, there's six, seven, eight hitters hit for more contact, maybe hit for a little more power. But uh, you can't really flip a coin with uh, Freddie Freeman, Okuna, Azuna versus Bellinger, Turner, Seager, Mookie. Now, there's a couple extra maybe names on the Dodgers side, but they are there's some very, very good players on both sides. I'm like I said, I'm taking Dodgers in six on that one. Absolutely. And certainly, as you mentioned, the the Braves, uh, they haven't exactly faced the stiffest competition so far in the playoffs, first defeating the Reds in the uh, wildcard series and then the Marlins recently. So it'll be interesting to see if they can keep it up against a much more formidable Dodgers lineup. Yes, very, very interesting. If they can, it's going to be a really good series like i said great pitchers great hitters on both sides both teams know how to win they've been here before they have experience i'm looking forward to both series uh astros you know tough teams to really face up against so either team that gets the astros is, is in for in for a battle all right and finally i'm pretty sure i know your answer as you are an la native but do you in fact have your dodgers winning at all uh, you almost got me there, Daniel. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put my foot in my mouth anywhere. But uh, yeah, you know, it's been a really exciting playoffs. Like I said, the the best teams look like they're here at the end of everything, even with the 60 game series, 60 game season. Yeah, it's 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 just nice to see the best teams playing baseball here at the end of the season. Hopefully, the best, uh, the most depth, the most talented teams win out. But you know, it's always exciting to see upsets. It's always exciting to, to watch the games and see what happens. So we're, we'll see what happens, and hopefully all goes my way. Yeah, anything can happen in baseball. So we will certainly all be watching. Yes, I'm super excited, super excited. Thank you, thank you, Daniel. Yes, yeah, sounds good. Thank you again, Jared, for joining us today. Awesome, so fun, so fun. Have a good one. Meanwhile, down in Florida, the NBA season is coming to a close with the NBA Finals between the Lakers and the Heat. For that, we turn to our NBA expert, Jenny Liu. Jenny, welcome back to the program. Great to be back here. Thank you. Of course. Now, as of recording, we are through four games of the finals. Can you give us a recap of what we've seen so far? Yeah. So we just wrapped up game four of the finals on Tuesday night, and game five is on tonight at nine, It and it might possibly be the last game of the NBA season, so it's kind of bittersweet. But the Lakers are up 3-1 right now, and it'll 
really depend on who is desperate enough and who wants it enough uh, in game five. For Miami, it's win or go home, obviously. And for Lakers, it's a chance to close their season out. And so I'll just quickly recap the series. Obviously, game one was a very dominating win by Lakers. Um, Anthony Davis had 34 and the whole team was on fire. So there was really nothing that Miami could do about that. And after that game, obviously, a lot of people had doubts whether Miami would even win a game. Game two, Lakers won with great performances by LeBron, Davis, Rondo. And game three is really where we saw Miami come alive. Obviously, Jimmy Butler had 40 and Hero, Olenek, Robinson, Crowder all had good performances. And I loved seeing that desperation from Miami. And I wanted to see them carry that momentum into the next game. And they kind of did. So game three Miami is the Miami that we all know. And it was really invigorating because everyone said that Jimmy would have had to pull a miracle to win even one game. And that's exactly what he did. So it was great to see that and also prove Jarrett wrong because last podcast, he doubted me when I said that they would at least take game five. So in game four, I mean, the Lakers did win by eight points, but it wasn't super convincing. It was a tight game throughout the whole time. And the lead was going back and forth. It really wasn't until the late third that the Lakers had a convincing, well, it wasn't convincing, but a consistent lead. And even then, every time the Lakers tried to pull away, Miami would close the gap again. So that's what's going on. All right. And as you mentioned, Game 5, which is an opportunity for the Lakers to close it out tonight, will be on tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern. What should we be looking out for in tonight's game? Yeah. So for the Lakers to close it out, I mean, obviously, they're coming out with the Black Mamba jerseys again tonight. So that's already a good sign. On the court, we're going to have to look for them in transition off of good defense, which is really where LeBron shines. And one great thing about the Lakers is that they don't necessarily have a definitive third player. And one of them just kind of emerges every game. So we need to see some rotational players come alive, whether that's Kuzma, Danny Green, or Rondo. And Rondo has been making great plays, obviously, recently. And I love seeing him make those crazy passes. In terms of game five for Miami, it's how much they want this. Bam had a good performance coming back in game four, but he really needs to make an impact in game five. And we need another electric game from Jimmy as well. Butler needs to get to the line and do what he does best, which is draw charges. And uh, Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero, obviously we would love to see them make some shots, but we're really looking at Jimmy. Absolutely. Uh, The NESCAC fans out there will be rooting for Robinson, who uh, attended Williams College, as they will mention all the time. Now, let's say that the Heat do keep their season alive. Would you give them a chance to come all the way back in the series? So I think it's very unlikely, and I do think the Lakers will take this series no matter what happens in this game, which is a big reason as to why I want Miami to win game five and force a game six, because really I'm just here for some good basketball. But there is, of course, a chance. I mean, I think we've already insulted them once by assuming that they were going to get swept. So let's not do that again. I mean, we already know that Miami has one of the most aggressive work ethics out there. And Jimmy Butler has the reputation of being the hardest working guy in the game. And so we saw them take the Bucks, who were the number one seed in the West and they took the Celtics. And so obviously they're here in the finals for a reason and no one really even saw them coming. So I will never say never. 
Um, some of the absolute best basketball of the bubble has come from Miami. So I'm not going to try and underestimate them. But on the other hand, I do think this is Lakers year. All right. With all that being said, who's your prediction for the finals MVP then? I think there's a debate to be made for either LeBron or AD, but I will be leaning more towards LeBron to take the MVP this year. It would be the fourth for him and the first for Davis. I think that although Davis has had more standout performances, like in game one, I'm leaning towards LeBron because his scoring has been a bit more consistent. In game three, AD was kind of absent with 15 points. And in game four, he had a good game, but offensively just not Um, that aggressive so both players kind of have two games going for them right now with LeBron just slightly taking the lead over Davis so we'll definitely see in game five whether or not the MVP choice is more clear but yeah LeBron yep that would certainly be interesting and as a trivia fan that would make him the first player to win the finals MVP with three different teams and finally I hate to ask, but with everything going on with injuries, the bubble, the pandemic, will this ring really count or will there always be an asterisk attached? I think yes, it counts. And I really cannot emphasize it enough. Like I've been hearing a lot about how this ring doesn't count. You know, the bubble has never counted. And I'm just tired of hearing that because it has always counted. The ring would count for literally any other champion, but it will only not count for LeBron. I could even argue that this championship counts more than other seasons because, yes, they weren't on the road and they didn't have to do the tough traveling, which is a big part of the game. But they had to get all the teams in the bubble in Orlando and everyone was dealing with so many stressors from 2020. They had to play in the middle of a pandemic in a world crisis and be away from their family for months, as well as their fans who are a huge part of the game. I mean, especially for LeBron and the Lakers, we know that they're a team that draws a lot of their energy from the crowd and the Lakers fans. And so the transition going into the bubble must have been really difficult for them. And we know this because LeBron has explicitly told us that. And that's why it took him a while to find his sort of footing in the bubble. On top of that, the players had to react and respond to the Black Lives Matters movements and the tragedies all from the bubble. And they couldn't really do anything. And we saw how much of a toll that took on the players. And, you know, having meetings in there to figure out walkouts and boycotts and whether or not their season would even continue. So this was definitely not a cakewalk. It was a really hard season. It was new for everyone. And so this championship definitely counts. Yeah, but it's certainly been a crazy year and just impressive how, you know, how much they've done both on and off the court. And so I'm, I'm certainly looking forward to the conclusion of this series. Thank you, Jenny, for joining us today on the podcast. And we hope to have you back soon. Thank you so much, Daniel. We bring in our resident international student, Owen Fitzsimons, for all things soccer. Owen, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, happy to have you. Owen, across the pond, the Premier League is back. What are the top stories coming in from last week's fixtures? So last week's fixtures, in last week's podcast, I told you to look forward to three games. It was City versus Leeds, or four games, technically. I guess Sheffield versus Arsenal, but we won't talk about that. That was an easy 2-0 one for, for Arsenal. But the other three, City versus Leeds. City, second place last year in what was really a one-horse race for most of the year. But we're looking good this year, but Leeds, a newly promoted side that have uh, shown a lot of promise so far. So ended up being a 1-1 draw where Leeds kind of played City out of the park, which... People 
thought that Leeds might get a result, but they really didn't expect Leeds to feel hard done by with a draw. I mean, Leeds played fantastically that entire match. So it's been nice. They've been exciting to watch. It's nice that the Premier League does not look like it's going to be like a one-horse race again this year or even a two-horse race. It's it's all over the shop. So another game I said to look forward to was Liverpool versus Villa. I was talking about how if Liverpool were going to fall at the first hurdle, this would be that hurdle. And, oh, my God, did they fall at the first hurdle very hard. They ended up losing 7-2 to Aston Villa. First time a defending champion has ever conceded seven goals in one game, let alone to Aston Villa, who were recently promoted who have, to be fair, looked brilliant this year so far with the likes of Jack Grealish finding his form and Ollie Watkins, their record signing, had a hat-trick within the first 30 minutes. And Ross Barkley also signing from Chelsea has been a great addition for them. Just almost one of those things that was unbelievable. I was actually on the golf course when it was happening. I wasn't watching the game, but I, I saw the first half and then I was following it on my phone and every day I just kept getting texts from my dad and I was like, there's no way that this could be happening. So... Again, as I said last week, Liverpool have just looked horrible at the back, very leaky, and that used to be the kind of sturdy base that they would have because they employ this very high-press system. So the issue is, if they get passed around, then you have numbers forward. Liverpool don't have numbers back, but previously, the likes of Virgil van Dijk, Joe Gomez, Matip, Alexander-Arnold, and Andy Robertson have been good enough to deal with those numbers disadvantages. Liverpool were fantastic at the back last year, but it's almost like a little bit of an uncertainty has crept in, and they really don't know what to do with it now. So it's kind of like their Achilles heel has been exposed, but as to what that is, nobody really knows. I mean, just watching it, it's their system, I guess, doesn't work. Like it used to, people are eventually going to catch on, and people have found a way now to beat it. It's all about how Liverpool adapt. I don't think anybody was expecting Liverpool to walk over the entire league like they did last year, but they certainly, I don't think too many bookies had a Villa beating Liverpool 7-2. The other big game, unfortunately, my team, United, lost 6-1, which was also unexpected. It was a Jose Mourinho's Tottenham, the former United manager versus Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's United. The new manager, Jose, is king of the world right now. It's Jose's world, and we're all just living in it, really, because... He was so outspoken about the fact that he got criticized for getting fourth place with United and he called it the best accomplishment of his entire career because the squad was just so poor. People thought he was crazy, but looking at that United squad that have brought in the likes of Bruno Fernandes and he's been fantastic, but the board, the Glazers, the owners don't really back the team anymore. No money is being spent, or when we do spend money, it's on an attacking midfielder, which like is not what like we have Bruno Fernandez. Don't even to be a great player, but there's no reason to spend forty million on him when our center backs are historically bad. It's I haven't enjoyed watching United play for this entire season, basically. I mean, and we're four games in. I'm being a little dramatic, probably, but it just hurts hurts my heart because we've been fine going forward. We could always be better, but. There's no excuse. Harry Maguire, our captain, got arrested over the summer for a bar fight in Greece and then comes back, and he's not good enough to be to be United's captain at the moment. Our other center back, Victor Lindelof, who used to start, was benched. I was like, thank heavens. And then the center back that came in, Eric Bailly, like, didn't do much better. And then it's the international break right now, and Eric Bailly's just gotten injured playing the inter- in the international break. United did just bring in Alex Tellez, who was a fullback from Porto who's fantastic going forward, but does it fill a need? 
kind of, because Luke Shaw isn't good enough to play in that squad. But at the same time, it bolsters us going forward. And again, uh, defending is not the strong part of his game. He's definitely a modern fullback and a good addition, but again, would have taken us in a rack any day of the week. Looking forward to next week. So right now we're actually on international break. So this, this is the game week of October 17th. Big game, Everton versus Liverpool. Everton continued their fine form, have looked flying so far. Liverpool obviously looking to bounce back. It's at 7.30 Eastern on Saturday, October 17th. It's actually a great day on Saturday because then you have Leicester versus Villa at 10. This is a real test for Villa because they're flying right now. Leicester are a good side, but kind of like one of those good sides that are only like, okay. So if Villa want to maintain their form, these are the kinds of teams that they need to make a habit of beating. It's not just good enough to get that like boost that you're playing Liverpool and get all the adrenaline and all the support. And then you go and you beat Liverpool and it's like, okay, fantastic. But now it's about taking this momentum and transferring it over. And then city versus Arsenal is at 1230 Eastern time on that Saturday as well. And that'll be a great game. It should be a pretty relatively easy win for city. I said it last week as well, that Arsenal have looked poor, but are getting results. Whereas city have looked all right and have gotten decent results. So if this was, Two or three seasons ago, this would be like a fantastic game, but this should be a, a pretty easy win for for City. All right. Well, we are now nearly a month into the season, of course, though it's still quite early. What teams and players are you going to be watching as the season progresses? I think Everton, mainly. Everton, they're four from four right now. No other team is four from four. Villa's three from three. This is in terms of wins. Uh, positive goal difference of seven through through four games. They've just been fantastic, made great moves in the transfer market. So I guess players to watch, James Rodriguez, who's just really been making them tick, and Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who scored again for England last weekend, cannot stop scoring, has continued his form, scored again last week. After I said in the podcast last week that he couldn't stop scoring, he just he's making a habit of it. And then also Aston Villa, you got to look out for their, their signing of Ross Barkley. It's nice to see Barkley is a talented player that never quite found his feet at Chelsea, was never given the chance to thrive. So it's nice to see, even though he's just on a loan, it's nice to see him finally get some game time and show what he can do. And a player that I personally have a personal disdain for, Jack Grealish, he's was always hyped up to be this really promising Irish youngster. And then he declared for England instead after playing for Ireland for his whole youth academy. From then on, it actually happened, has happened a couple times that players have done that and then fallen off. You saw Steven Ireland when he said that he wouldn't play for Ireland. Jack Grealish fell asleep for years. Declan Rice hasn't been playing his best, who also did the same thing. But he's finally finding his form and good for the kid. He uh, met him a couple times, actually. He used to come and play in Hong Kong every year with the Aston Villa Academy and at the time was playing for Ireland. So nice, nice kid. He's got his head screwed on straight. So it's nice to see him finally finally coming to fruition. And I think the other big thing to look for is just can Liverpool shore things up the back? And actually, I will also add to watch out for Leeds United. It's currently sitting eighth in the table. I mean, if you just look at the table right now, it's like, what is going on? United are two places above relegation. City are only four, four or five places above relegation. If you told me that United, Brighton, City, Wolves were four in a row on the table, I would have given you two, three, four, five, or one, two, three, four, not 16, 15, 14, and 13, 
you know it's just crazy so lots to look forward to it certainly is and uh, as you mentioned um the, the international stage is coming up for this week moving out to a bigger scale the uefa euro 2020 which was delayed until next june continued its qualifiers this week what can you tell us about that so the euro qualifiers this week it's so there's certain teams that are already already through that got the job done earlier so the euros are doing an expanded format with more teams this year but there's a lot of teams that have already qualified england spain sweden poland czech republic netherlands ukraine austria russia belgium finland denmark turkey italy wales switzerland portugal france and germany are the teams that have already qualified a lot of big ones i mean finland have done well to get themselves qualified already denmark czech republic but you know it's basically the usual suspects and now they've moved into these playoffs for spots so it was the semifinals for the playoffs it was heartbreaking again for for me as an irish football fan we just couldn't get the job done it's we lost on penalties after a nil all draw in full time to a team like slovakia which should just never be beating ireland and it's frustrating because we've brought in this new manager who's playing much more attractive football like for the longest time it was always We'd put 10 men behind the ball and then just lump it up to, to a big, tall striker or a small, quick striker. And that's all we would do. And we're actually starting to play teams around the park now, but we just cannot score. We're not taking our chances. It was goal line clearances. We hit the post. It was it was all over the place. The general consensus among Irish fans is that they still back the manager, Stephen Kenny, who used to manage this team that basically dominated the Irish local league, Dundalk. And so people are staying behind him, which is nice. And it's nice to watch attractive football but at the same time it's heartbreaking that we can't get into this format i mean to put it into perspective a team that has made it farther than we have is north macedonia and not only is it frustrating because we lost it is more frustrating so now it goes to the final for the final spots and the final for our final spot if that makes sense would have been ireland versus northern ireland which would have been an all-time fantastic match i mean there would just be everything on that game whether it be like the whole political history, the rivalry, the it would just the two teams have never played each other in a context for actual football reasons. That is like so important. There's been some matchups in the past that have been tense because of different political shiftings that were going on at the time. But it would have been really nice for the two to match up and have it be a hotly anticipated game, not only because of the political history, but because it was actually an important football match. And then we ended up losing on penalties to Slovakia. But I guess I guess these things happen and you got to roll with the punches. But in the other games, so actually crazy. The first final is Georgia versus North Macedonia. So either Georgia or North Macedonia is going to make it to the Euros, which I'm going to Georgia maybe not. They had some players back in the day, but I'm going to assume for North Macedonia it was it would be a first time. The other final is Hungary Iceland will be a great game. I I would hope that Iceland can get the job done they're just fun to have and a team that plays with a lot of heart serbia versus scotland i'd take serbia in the match but probably want scotland to go through and then northern ireland slovakia should be an easy win for northern ireland but we'll see but i mean there's a lot to play for these are teams that you wouldn't really have given a huge shout to make the euros there's obviously teams there that have made them before, but the expanded format is interesting, very controversial, because it basically takes like 36 games to take a pool of 24 teams down to 16 teams. 
it's just very confusing, but and kind of like so much football, if that makes sense. But it'll be good. Those games are taking place this weekend on the or sorry, these games are not taking place this weekend. These games are taking place in November on November 12th, I believe. Unless the United States dates are flipped on my computer, which it would mean that it's on December 11th. So one of those two dates that you guys have a while to prepare for. And then this weekend, it's UEFA Nations League, which Ireland are very much still in, but have lost to like Finland. So no chance of winning. So there's that to look forward to. It's mainly about players staying healthy right now. All right. Yeah. Some of those, those smaller countries, uh, it's all, they're always fun to watch whenever they, they make some runs. I certainly remember last Euros uh, with both Iceland and Wales. Uh, very exciting to watch. Yeah, it's, I mean, when you get the, I mean, it just means so much to the fans and it sucks that there will probably not be fans there, especially this was going to be a historic Euros because it was actually going to be hosted by 12 cities in like 12 different countries. So it was going to be all over the place and you were going to be able to like go to a game kind of like no matter what country you were from, it would be like a train ride because I mean, it's Europe to like one game if you wanted to go, but obviously that's not happening now. So that sucks, but is what it is. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for the recap. I'll certainly be looking forward to uh, that tournament coming up next year. And thank you for joining us today on the show. Thanks for having me, Daniel. All right. And uh, before we go, I want to bring up some local sports news. First of all, sadly, the NESCAC has announced that all winter sports championships have been canceled for this academic year. While it is possible individual schools will maintain other plans, there will be no official conference scheduling. More specific to Tufts, men's basketball coach Bob Sheldon has recently announced that he'll be retiring this year after 33 years leading the team. Last season, he led the Jumbos to their first men's basketball NESCAC championship, and the team reached the Sweet 16 of the NCAA Division III tournament before it was shut down. JumboCast has been honored to watch Coach Sheldon's teams over the past years, including covering his final two wins in last year's NCAA tournament. He has been an integral part of the team for decades, and we wish him well in his retirement. With all that, this concludes this week's episode of JumboCast the Podcast. I'd like to thank all of our guests, Lily, Jarrett, Jenny, and Owen, for being here today. And for everyone here at JumboCast, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.